Is there a secret ingredient or is it just desire and will within that person? I think it's really got to be desire and will. You have to uh, look at, you know, first off, I think there's a fundamental that is helpful for people to think about, you know, and to own, you know, it, which is your life is a reflection of who you're being and the decisions you make or the decisions you're not making. So ultimately, when you look at your life, if you can own the fact that your life is a reflection of you, your friends are a reflection of you. Uh, if there's parts of your life that you're not happy with, if there's people in your life that you're going, why are they in my life? And, and I get there's family involved and all the rest of it, got it, understood. But ultimately, your life is a reflection of who you're being. And mm -hmm. You know, when you can get to that point where you're not being a victim to it, when you're not blaming others for your shitty life or whatever's going on in your life, uh, when you can get to that point where you take responsibility for the quality of your life, your feeling around your life, your inspiration around your life, uh, when you're excited about the people who are in and uh, who you're hanging out with and who you're in your life with, uh, it is a game changer if, if you really want to look and say, I'm not happy with where I am in my life and what my life looks like. Okay, well, own it. Take a change. You make a change. I used to chase the ROI all the time, return on investment. And over the course of time, that has evolved into what I call return on life. Hey there, this is Randy Dick on the Return on Life podcast. You know, it's not about the ROI, but it's about the ROL, which is return on life. And today I have an amazing guest. Patrick Francie is with me. Patrick's done so many things in his life, from being a horse whisperer to not only running a huge organization across Canada called RAIN, the Real Estate Investment Network of Canada, but he's got businesses across the country, a podcast star, and just so many other things. So welcome here, Patrick. Thanks for being a guest on Return on Life podcast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation, Randy. Right on. So when you hear return on life, mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Well, you know, from a business point of view or just a, I guess when I think about that term return on life, I relate it to, you know, return on investment. So when I work backwards from that, I'm thinking about return on investment of capital, but I'm also thinking about a return on investment of what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. More importantly for me is why I'm doing it. And, uh, you know, I think that's really a return on life for me is what am I doing that is lighting me up, uh, giving me that sense of accomplishment, fulfillment. I think that's what it means for me. Mm -hmm. Now, you've done so many things throughout your life, like in so many things. Every time I uh, connect and, and, and hang out with you, I go, you did what? Maybe um, share with our listener some of the things that you've done throughout your life that have brought you to this point that you think are kind of like, hmm, that was a crucible moment or that was a big thing that helped me get mm -hmm. to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, certainly one of the crucible moments for me was, you know, many years ago uh, when I met my now wife, Stephanie, that was definitely a crucible moment. Those were, that uh, was a, a, you know, the proverbial fork in the road that changed a lot of things for me. And I say that because, it was really the shift for me into taking responsibility for who I am and what I do, that personal professional growth. And, you know, that was in my, you know, early 30s. And I have to say that, you know, I share this story is that 
we all had our operating, we have our operating systems. It's how we are and how we see the world. And, you know, I came up, I was really raised on the wrong side of the tracks. So I was a little rough around the edges, so to speak. And, you know. Hard to imagine that today, eh? <laughs> Well, no, I don't think it's hard to imagine, <laughs> but perhaps. And, you know, the point of it is, is that when, you know, I was having a conversation with Stephanie and she said to me, she often said to me, you know, why do you respond that way? Like, well, what, why are you that way? Why do you say that? Why do you do that? And I had this response, which was, it's just the way I am. And one day she looked at me and she goes, you know, it's a choice, right? And oh, what? <laughs> it was like, that had never occurred to me. It was really, it's just the way I am. And that was my default thought process. And in that moment, uh, you, you know, it was a pivotal moment for me. It was like, oh, you mean, oh, that makes so much sense now. I can choose. And that started me on my own journey of, you know, self-discovery, self-awareness, personal and professional development, realizing that I get to be and create who I want to be given what's going on in my life and where I want to go, how, what I want to achieve. You know, it's the old, you know, meme of, it's not the goal, it's who you need to become to achieve the goal. And so that was really a, kind of a crucible moment. Hmm. And proximity is power. Mm -hmm. And so depending on what side of the tracks or who was on that side of the tracks or this side of the tracks really uh, would impact that. Um, so Stephanie really impacted you in a big way. Was there others that kind of led up to that point or was it just... Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to stop this addiction or this smoking habit or whatever, just cold turkey, or was it just... Well, you know, it's an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting thought process, you know, now that you bring it up, is that, you know, like attracts like, you know, and, and, and I've, you know, this point in my life this many years later, uh, you know, you really realize that, you know, and, and I, it's proven time and time again. Well, back at that point, you know, me saying, well, this is just the way I am, being rough around the edges, being a little bit aggressive and or... Uh, not trusting. Oh, there's all sorts of those qualities that I had. But also I had a lot of people in my life at that time that supported that. Hmm. You know, they were of like mind. And so whatever my narrative and whatever story I was telling myself back then was supported by those who really ran the same narrative, had the same story. And so it was a like attracts like. Now in that moment, I, you know, it was a classic case of when she kind of pointed that out to me, we were in relationship. This was an early time in our relationship. And ultimately I wanted the girl more than I wanted the other life. And so it was, you know, go on this journey. And so that's what I began. I began that journey. And it was that, you know, realizing now as I reflect, none of those people are in my life anymore, haven't been for a long time. And, you know, also the realization that it isn't a case of they were wrong and I'm right. It's just that, you know, when we get into a values conversation, like when people start talking about values, we just operate from a different set of values. And it's not that their values were wrong and my were right or vice versa. It's just that we didn't share common values and I moved on and then started recognizing and adopting those values that really supported what I wanted to achieve in my life. Hmm. Values. I, I often come back to value graphics. You know, we talk about demographics or the people around us, value graphics and how we see values. And that really uh, drives the trend of who we are, what we are, where we're, where we're going, and what we become. Um, 
It sounds like, and this is a question I often ask my guests, what's the greatest gift that you have and what's the greatest curse? And it sounds like Stephanie is the greatest gift, <laughs> at least in that moment. Yeah, she was, a, she was definitely a gift, you know, and remains a gift to this day. You know, there's a, at this point in my life, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm officially a senior citizen recently, so I crossed that line. But when we reflect on, uh, What's you know, that line? What's that line? Let, let the listeners know what that line is. <laughs> the, line is the line is 65. You know, that's, okay. a, that's that, that. You look too young for 65. Societal <laughs> imposed uh, line. So uh, I don't, you know, it's just, it is truly just a number. Those are some of the realizations you have at mm. this point in my life. You know, if I was 40 and I think about 65, if I would have known 65 could be this young, I don't know if I would have changed anything, but listen, it, it was a, a 40 year old telling myself that 65 was old and it's just not, you know, it's just, that's the story there. But there's also a point of, you know, there's that saying that, you know, behind every great man is a, an amazing woman. And, and I, I just have to say that's the case. You know, I am who I am today. Uh, much of who I am today was driven and supported by my wife and conversations we had and the journey we've been on together. Hmm. Um. You and Stephanie have uh, been in my life here and there. You've helped my team on some things as well. And I know that uh, forgiveness and love has come up a lot in our conversations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, you know, I know that I say you can't love another if you don't love yourself. And I know uh, that you have uh, self-love. And I don't mean that in a you know, in an egotistical way, but, but I know you do, you do like who you are, you do love who you are, and I think that reflects in everything that you do. Well, I think you say something that's really interesting there is that if we go back to those early youthful days, and of course, it's, that's also part of the process, right, is that, you know, growing up and starting to understand, not everybody goes on that journey, by the way, I happen to, and realizing that I didn't like who I was, hmm. and you know, having the realization for me that, again, was it was a choice and that I wasn't, you know, wired this way. It was a lot of my upbringing, a lot of, you know, operating from a place of survival uh, based on what I knew and based on the kind of the neighborhood I lived in and the people I was surrounded by. And so I didn't like who I was. I didn't necessarily I wasn't conscious of it back then as to the degree that it evolved to be very conscious right and so understanding back to the conversation of understanding what my values were what my core values are uh, was really an important part of my own progression into understanding myself and liking myself even more you know uh, because it was a clear choice is that hard was that hard was it hard to find that lane or like you know we, we meet so many people i know you meet thousands of people a year in all the things that you're involved in and you see all different kinds of people and how they respond to things and that is there a change ingredient is there an ingredient that they could bring that would allow them to change or shift their mindset i know you talk you know you and stephanie have a mindset matters podcast um, is there a secret ingredient or is it just desire and will within that person? I think it's really got to be desire and will. You have to uh, look at, you know, first off, I think there's a fundamental that is helpful for people to think about, you know, and to own, you know, it, which is your life is a reflection of who you're being, uh, 
and the decisions you make or the decisions you're not making. So ultimately, when you look at your life, if you can own the fact that your life is a reflection of you, your friends are a reflection of you, uh, if there's parts of your life that you're not happy with, if there's people in your life that you're going, why are they in my life? And, and I get there's family involved and all the rest of it, got it, understood. But ultimately, your life is a reflection of who you're being. And mm -hmm. you know, when you can get to that point where you're not being a victim to it, when you're not blaming others for your shitty life or whatever's going on in your life, uh, when you can get to that point where you take responsibility for the quality of your life, your feeling around your life, your inspiration around your life, uh, when you're excited about the people who are in and uh, who you're hanging out with and who you're in your life with, uh, it is a game changer if, if you really want to look and say, I'm not happy with where I am in my life and what my life looks like. Okay, well, own it. Take a change. You make a change. And so here we are, we're talking about return on life, which if you love life, you're going to surround yourself with the right people. Um, I'm going to just put in, I'll, I'll just fine tune what you said there a little mm -hmm. bit. You're going to attract the people of mm -hmm. like mind. That you can't help it. Right. You cannot help it. If who, or repel. Yes, or repel. And at the end of the day, you know, if you understand the whole conversation around integrity, if you stay true to who you are, the people that align with those values will show up and be happy to be there. And you'll be happy that they're there because it'll just flow and it'll all make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, to your point, uh, for those who don't align with those values, if you stay true to your values, they will just have to go away. Absolutely. Yeah. Shift gears a little bit. Okay. Um, you ever doubted yourself? <laughs> what time is it now? Yeah, I think there's a there's a place, depending on what you say, have I doubted myself? Yes, the answer to that, of course, is absolutely. And um, But, you know, it's taken a long time to get to a place where I doubt myself less and less. Yeah, I, I see doubt as something as a positive. Mm -hmm. That a doubt is just a speed bump or... A, a, a caution sign, slow down, Randy, mm -hmm. because there's something really important here mm -hmm. and you just need to process and think about it yeah. a little bit yeah. rather than just pushing through, which, you know, us D-type personalities <laughs> is just pedal to the metal. Yeah. But, um, and that's where Jolene kind of tugs me on the back of yeah. my shirt once in a while and says, hey, think about this a little bit. But no, that's a good point. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, we often, you know, have the conversations around don't let fear get in your way and all the rest of it. But, you know, fear is a very necessary uh, feeling. Mm -hmm. It keeps you safe, you know. And uh, sometimes uh, not letting or slowing down to your point, that self-doubt driven by often fear of something happening or making a wrong decision, whatever it might be. Those are times where you have to actually take a minute to mm -hmm. look closer. Yeah. Yeah. Fear can be a friend a foe or a motivator. Mm -hmm. And I would assume in your life, it's often been a motivator or a friend in some yeah. cases. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I guess I haven't really reflected per se on, you know, the impact of fear. I've certainly had those moments in time for sure. That's created that uh, self doubt and uh, maybe even shifted some decisions, you know? Yeah. You've had so much success. I mean, along the way, I'm sure there's been some bumps too, but do you ever ask yourself, uh, why me? Why am I in this amazing position? I don't look at it that way. Um, 
You know, I think when I look at, number one, you know, my definition of success is really changed and shifted over the years. So I know even on my own podcast, I don't ask people what they consider success is. Mm -hmm. I don't often ask it because it's a really a different definition for everybody. I've come to really realize that. And I think- So is return on life. Of course, you know. yes, that's a great point. And, and so in the, in the conversation of success, for example, you know, I did ask this question of a particular guest and I wish I could remember which guest it was, but the point of it is that what I took away from that, it was the one time I felt the need to ask him the question, just probably because of the conversation we were having. But he, I said, how do you measure success? Now, I would say that I don't have any, it's all anecdotal, but I would say the majority of people measure success by financial success. When you talk mm -hmm. about success, generally they look at it you know, it's a financial something, right? And he said something that was really quite, for me, profound and stuck with me, which was he defined success, and I asked him that question. He said, any time that I am living the vision I have for my life, I'm being successful. Hmm. Knowing that as he evolves and changes and grows in all aspects of his life, uh, he changes and shifts how he views his vision, what it is he's trying to achieve. And so if he's living the vision for his life, whatever that might be, that's how he calls himself successful. And I went, that's very good. I like it. Hmm. On your podcast, The Everyday Millionaire, uh, I'm assuming they're all millionaires. <laughs> well, actually, I don't. It's not like I say, send me your financial statement. <laughs> so, yes, they're all pretty successful generally, yes. And so that's defined as net million or more, yep. which uh, in some parts of the world, many of our homes are well over yes. a million. But uh, um, it must be fascinating interviewing all these people and what drives them, you know, the success question. That's mm -hmm. a really interesting um, uh, version of that, but is there a common thread with the people that you interview that that you've maybe gone? Oh my goodness! There's that common thread. I should write a book about it. Um, I should live my life around that. Is there anything that? Nothing that stands out other than to say that you know all my guests have been. I've been pretty blessed. I've had some really amazing, amazing guests. So let's. You know, when I look at the number of guests that I've had and what I've, my observation is, is the people that I have come to admire and I'm listening and watching, they all have one fundamental thing in place, which is money is a result of the value that they bring, the services they bring. The quality of their life is driven by being a contribution, understanding that their business actually serves their purpose in general. And I would say that those guests generally stand out and from a strictly you know, outside looking in and listening to them speak, they've got pretty amazing lives that they've created because of that. Hmm. That's really good. Um, a lot of our listeners are realtors. Mm. And so you are certainly in the real estate space in a big way. Yeah. Um, a lot of our listeners are the realtors that, you know, I think struggle with balance in life. You know, there's a saying, balanced equals broke. Balanced life equals broke. Because, <laughs> you know, to, to really be successful, there's times you just got to redline it. Mm. Um, from a real estate investing standpoint, um, how would you 
encourage our listeners to think of how do I get return on life through investing in real estate? Is there a balance of life and all that? How do I get to the end piece where, okay, I can breathe, I've made it. You know, it's a that's big a, question. <clears throat> it is a big question. There's a lot of things to unpack there, but let's go back to a fundamental is my own belief and kind of how Stephanie and I have set our lives up and a practice that we've, you know, worked through many years, which is we don't, we will say there's no such thing as balance. Hmm. Full stop. We will then break it down as self-employed individuals and business owners and entrepreneurs and all the rest of the kind of handles that you might want to add to us. Ultimately, we don't look at work and life. We look at life. And that's all there is. There's just life. There isn't work and life. There's just life. And so from a any aspect of doing business, what I've really come to understand is there is no balance. Love what you do. And it's I know it's cliche, but there is that, you know, when you're when your vocation is like your vacation, you'll never work another day in your life. And I remember, I remember many years ago coming off stage uh, when I was speaking and this young guy came up to me and he goes, gosh, Patrick, I just listened to you talk and all the things that you're doing and you know, how many hours a week do you work? And it kind of threw me off and I go, gosh, I don't know. I, I don't think in those terms. Right. I just do my life and, you know, I operate my business and it supports the life that we want and because I love what I do I don't look at it as work and do I need to shift gears and say okay it's time to step away from my screen or you know get off an airplane you know to go on vacation as opposed to go to a meeting or whatever my you know I, I get all that but you know because we love what we do it's just our life it isn't this thing over here and our life's over here. So I, I don't know if that kind of deals with the question, but ultimately that's how we look at it. So we're mm -hmm. blessed. We, we absolutely love what we do. Uh, we're very clear on our purpose and why we do what we do. And so for us, you know, I joke about it. You know, I'm on the Freedom 95 program because I don't ever really see myself stopping what we're doing. So return on life for you is quite different than some of the guests I've had, which is, you know, being on a beach with a pina colada mm -hmm. at 45, 50 years old, that's not you. I'd be bored in 10 minutes. I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I know you travel lots and you have hobbies and you get really busy doing your stuff, but you're, you're like me. Whether you're doing that or not, you're constantly meeting people and thinking business and thinking about what you can do and where you can be a contribution. And really, it's just what we do. Mm -hmm. So... Turning that off, and that, I'll share a quick story. Is uh, I watched an interview, and this was many years ago. Michael Dell was speaking to a group of university students, and one of the university students stood up in that crowd, and it was an old video that I saw. And they said to him, "They go, you know, Mr. Dell, uh, you're worth you know billion dollars or whatever it was at that time. You could literally be sitting on a beach or you know hanging out on one of your yachts fishing." Uh, why, why are you working? Why are you doing this? And of course, at the time, Dell was and still is very successful. But ultimately, Michael looked at me and goes, he says, you know something? He says, two or three weeks a year, I do that. And it's fun. But he goes, do you know how fun it is to run a multi-billion dollar company? That's fun, right? So I, you know, and, and I really, honestly, I kind of relate 
to that. I want to be a contribution. I want to be doing stuff. You know, that's just how I'm wired. Yeah, I'm with you on that too. Um, I love to go and play, but four, five, six days of play, and I'm like, yeah. I'm getting bored already. Yeah. That play, totally. I need to yeah. get back and stimulate my brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so limiting success uh, to me, I would think when I hear that. Uh, a limit to your success would you would not be that you're engaged almost daily then it's pretty much that way you know if I look at you know it's, it's interesting is that when we you know and Stephanie and I are having conversations about our life I mean we want for nothing like and I'm at a point in the life to be honest with you I don't want any more stuff I don't want to insure it. I don't want to wash it. I don't have to worry about it. Like there's nothing more that I want in my life. You know, we, mm -hmm. we love our home. We love our property. We love our dogs. And, you know, we're just at a point where we've spent many years building the life that we've built. And so I'm in literally, I pine for nothing. Hmm. There's nothing I feel like I'm missing. So for me, success is we are living our vision. We are expanding. We're always trying to be creative. We are, if we're being a contribution in terms of supporting others, and that is really one of our primary drivers, then we're loving life. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that support that you give so many, not just tens, hundreds, thousands of yeah, people. Yeah, and I've yeah. seen that over the years through all the things you're involved in. Uh, real estate, yeah. so investing in real estate, yeah. how has that been part of this, we got this? Well, you know, it's interesting. So I started investing in real estate, you know, over 20 years ago. I actually got in the game late. I, you know, I started my business, my, one of my retail, my retail businesses, you know, is still, it's now literally 40 years that I've been uh, having that operating wow. company. You know, I haven't had a key to that, that business uh, literally since 2005. But I've got a great team and I work with that team. I, you know, I kind of touch base with them on a regular basis. I got a great general manager. So it's literally, you know, once a week I do some creative stuff with them and it's great. Um, the real estate started when I was looking at as a small business owner at the time, I was looking at people I admired, which happened to be other business owners. And I looked at the guys that I admired who were very, very successful. And regardless of how much money they made in their business, they all owned real estate. Hmm. And, you know, as I had conversations with them, I realized that the reason they have that is because they're trying to build that financial future, build those assets, you know. And so I said, geez, I got to get into investing in real estate. So when I started on my own journey of investing in real estate, it was more about creating a financial future based on what I, how I want to live to this point in my life. You know, that was over 20 years ago. Uh, many real estate investors look at it as, you know, operating income. They want income today. I was never looking at it from, I want income today because of businesses that were paying me well. Right. Uh, I looked at investing in real estate as, you know, future financial gain. And uh, many look at it like I want active income today. So that's one of the things. So that then went on the journey and how I had my, you know, entrepreneurial ac accident of, uh, getting involved with the real an estate. accident. Yeah, well, I call it. A, I have entrepreneurial accidents. That's what I call it. It's like I. I it seems to be my trend is that I don't necessarily. Uh, yeah, that's a different conversation. But it was. I called it my entrepreneurial accident, and 
you know, I became, I was part of Real Estate Investment Network as an investor, got the education, uh, got to know the owner of the business at that time, Don R. Campbell, best-selling author, and got to be mm. good friends with him. And then ultimately, we bought the, I bought the business from him. Well, wow. going to come back, going to come to that, but I want to go back to the skate tech piece of things. Yeah. 40 years ago, yeah, yeah. was that an accident? And how did you get to be the owner of that business? Oh, that's okay. I'll, you know, Cole's notes, because there's a story there. Yes, it was an entrepreneurial accident. And I'd come, it was, the only job I had was back in 1977. I was in the oil patch. And I was in the oil patch for eight years. Mm. And uh, in that, I was working. Fine job. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't. I wasn't on the tools. Like I was, oh. I was in a manufacturing. Okay. Uh, down, there was a company, uh, downhold manufacturing company, and and I literally went into this corporate world in 1977, and you know worked my way up corporately, and it was an amazing education in hmm. business. A friend of mine owned Pro Skate, professional skate service back then. Uh, he was growing. Uh, there was the National Energy Program, which shut Alberta down. Uh, I was actually laid off back then. And so my friend who had this skate shop, this little thousand square foot skate shop, owned the business and he said, well, why don't you come work with me? And I said, sure. So I did. And it was really uh, the evolution of that turned out to, again, I got to know him. And uh, at one point he said, I want to exit. He was getting frustrated and I bought the business. Hmm. And that really was how that manifested we grew into and to this day have the reputation for being a mid to high-end skate shop we work with thousands of over the years of competitive skaters nhl players uh, competitive figure skaters as well as you know just you know minor recreational all of it but we're very niche in the mid to high-end skate market you know and have you ever sat around the table and you play the game with uh, dinner guests where you go let's go around the table what's one thing that would surprise you that people don't know about you yeah have you ever played that game yes okay so was, fun oh yeah so i i had one always which was the business was very reput reputable for working with high-end mm -hmm. skaters players because we were performance focused you know and i've never played hockey i don't even skate that shocks me. <laughs> I know. That shocks me. That's what I pull out all the time. I wow. don't. I don't skate, and uh, although I can, you know, certainly fake it going around the ice, there'll be no mistaking. Once I step on the ice with a hockey stick, nobody thinks I played hockey in my life. See, I just made the assumption that I know you played a ton of hockey yeah. and you fell in love with the game, and yeah. you just had to work in a skate shop. No, and I don't. I, I'm. I, I haven't even. I haven't watched a hockey game in ten years. Although we used to go to a lot of games. And and I worked. I, I literally worked directly with the Oilers. I worked with them in training camps as wow. with the Edmonton Oilers. I was good friends with many of the trainers right across the NHL. I I was a technician, and literally, uh, for whatever reason, Randy, my brain fired in a way that I understood skating very, very at a very technical level, like what was happening on the ice, mm. and and so then I was able to translate that into how do I make that pair of skates work better? How do we make that blade work better given the biomechanics of that particular player? And yeah, it was just a kind of a, yeah, so that's where we are. So that brings a really interesting question to my mind anyways that, okay, so I, and I'm sure many of our listeners, mm -hmm. you out there in the, in the listening world would say to yourself, if I'm gonna get coached by somebody, mm -hmm. that person have better either done it, played it, 
is a pro at it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it, it's, it's not really, that person can't help me. And I've actually struggled with that myself. Mm -hmm. If the person hasn't done something at a high level, mm -hmm. I don't take them that seriously. Mm -hmm. What do you say to the, to the listener about that? Well, I think that there's, you know, the fundamental, and, and just because we talked about hockey, I mean, Wayne Gretzky was a classic example. You know, he coached uh, in, at an NHL level. He was a world-class record-holding player, mm -hmm. as most know, at least guys our age. I'm sure the kids nowadays don't even know who Wayne is. But ultimately, uh, you know, he went on to coach and was, a, you know, an abysmal failure at it. Yeah. And uh, the reality of it is, is that we look through a set of filters or through a lens that doesn't necessarily lend itself to being a great coach. You may know the game really well. You may even know some technicalities, but you got to be able to express that you know what you end up with in those scenarios of great players and great and i don't care what sport it is but we call it do it again coaches is because they have been players or they have been athletes in their life and technically they're very very strong but they can't coach they can't communicate they can't really take what they've learned and then duplicate it because they don't really understand that coaching game yeah. so they become what we call do it again coaches so they go you know somebody goes out and tries it and they go no that didn't work do it again. But yeah. there's nothing in between all that, right? You know, you're a gifted communicator. I've, I've listened to you, uh, you know, from the audience many, many times. And uh, what you just shared with me is how you can take something complicated, mm. simplify it, and communicate it very quickly. And I think that's really what is a great coach. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's probably one of those gifts that I've developed. I don't know that it's a gift. I think it's, I've consciously developed it. You know, back to the business side of it. And, you know, I looked at the business of, in this case, skate tech, skate tech group of companies, pro skate specifically on the retail side of it. And it was really a business opportunity. That's how I saw it. Mm. And then I looked at it and said, how do we deliver value to these individuals and these you know, people who want to play the game, who want to be very good at the game, and how can I support them in doing that? And, and ultimately, I looked at it from a business perspective. I happened to, because of my background and some of my mechanical inclination, uh, I was able to translate it. And it's just physics, you know, so as much as we think it's all of this thing, it's just physics. Skating is just physics, you know, most sports are. Mm -hmm. Mechanical inclination. You grew up on a farm? Yeah. And you... Played with all kinds of equipment. I, I was, yeah. You know, my dad, we used to joke, he's a journeyman jack of all trades. There wasn't anything he couldn't do from, you know, it didn't matter if it was welding or if it was hammering a nail, he could do it all, fixing cars. Yeah, so we, I grew up in that. I was expected, you know, we're changing the oil in the car. Okay. Get under there. And was that something that you're curiously interested in or was it just like, oh, geez, I got to do this? Well, I think it's, you know, there's those nature or nurture things and this was definitely a nurture. I don't, I don't pursue that. It was never, like I didn't take it on and all of a sudden get into cars and rebuilding cars and that, you know, yeah. from the mechanical. I, you know, I still, I've done renovations on my own properties over the years. It's not what I love to do, uh, but I certainly have the talent to do it. It's one of the struggles I have in my life right now because I, <laughs> I, I can do it myself and I'm going, but I don't want to do it. But then I have to find somebody to pay to do it. And I'm going, nah, nobody will do it as good as me. So those are my little struggles in life. Mm. So many great uh, businesses that you've had. Um, have, you, have you hit one of your best business ideas yet? Or do you think the best business idea or <laughs> what did you call it? Accidental 
you know, my entrepreneurial accident. <laughs> is, that, is that yet to come or do you think that's happened already? Uh, well, you know, it's something I, I, I like to do stuff. I like to be creative in that regard. What I have gotten more focused on doing now is saying, you know, within the context of the businesses that I do have and that we're still involved in, you know, how can I improve on it? How can I shift value or expand on what we're already offering and stay mm -hmm. within the context of that. So, you know, grow the business, you know, pivot, which is some of what we're doing right now, given what's happening, you know, economically, you know, going through a pivot, even with the real estate investment network, understanding that, you know, the client's expectations are also changing and shifting. So we have to accommodate that. So some of it is, you know, really just business decisions you have to make for all sorts of different reasons and and in this case given what's going on in the world these days you know people are operating from a different place mm -hmm. and things seem to be on an accelerated path in many many ways uh, technology uh, expectations um, whether call it demographics value graphics all that is changing yes and how do you keep up uh, it seems like if you if you pause, you're, you're left behind. And I know you've shifted a lot of things in all of your businesses, mm -hmm. not just whether it be Rain, mm -hmm. uh, your, your skate tech business, all that changed over the last few years mm -hmm. for, for no other reason than whatever it is. We won't yep. say what it is, but um, is that acceleration going to continue or is it, are we going to plateau here a bit? AI, all of that, is it, is it going to bring us to a plateau in your opinion or are you going to are we going to still see this escalating? You know, I think it's a, I think we're going to continue to accelerate, you know, and, and it'll feel like if things are accelerating because things are changing fast. Uh, AI will change the game in a lot of different ways. And it's going to, let's face it, time is speeding up. I mean, AI has been around. It's just that it seems like it's been put on a pedestal and I don't know everybody's talking about it, but we had some AI components mm -hmm. over the last almost decade really when you yeah. think about mapping and all yeah. that it's always yeah. been around but is it just that it's heightened awareness now no i think what they've done is they've shifted the model so in other words ai is now accessible to anybody and yeah. everybody so it was one you know there was a point where if you couldn't write code or if you didn't understand the concept of writing code or what it took uh, you weren't involved in it. it was just not something you did and there's definitely uh time now where ai is opening up doors and accessibility to information that was never there before at a speed of which it was never there before mm -hmm. you know we start to consider you know what we're doing within even the real estate investment network and how the you look at ai and the you know that ai is now we're having conversations about finding real estate and finding deals and being able to analyze an investment property in split seconds being able to write multiple offers at the same time you know being able and doing it you know within whatever province or city you know literally within the construct of what their system is so it's pretty powerful in you know just on that side of it you know as a writer it's opened up a whole different door for me and how I write the speed of which and the volume of which I can write now it's not writing for me and I think that's what you know people have to kind of understand but you know I see what it does on a first lift and the time that I can save and just tapping into that so somebody you know I wrote a, a blog it was about a 1200 word and one of my team said 
did you write this or was that AI? And I, you know, I said it was a collaboration <laughs> with AI. And I was just collaborating with the, with, you know, another writer and uh, it gave me some ideas. I went from there. It checks my spelling, hits the punctuation, you know. So really, for me, it was, uh, you know, I look at that kind of aspects of it a lot, and and from a research point of view. So, yeah, I think it's it's evolved. It's just more accessible. Yeah, um, I've been using AI for that same reason too. It just it it gets me a little bit faster and farther down the road. Totally. Yet at the end of the day, it's still my words, my thoughts, and all that. But uh, yeah, wonderful stuff. Yeah. Future of real estate. Mm -hmm. From a real estate agent's perspective, mm -hmm. you are not a realtor, but you know hundreds of realtors. I do. And you know the real estate game so well. What is the future of real estate and the agent from your perspective? Well, when you look at what's happening right now, so first off, we look at real estate investment as, you know, one aspect of it. I spend a lot of time in that. And then, of course, there's, you know, the retail realtor specializes to that end user, you know, working with them. I think right now, realtors need to train themselves to, you know, be very clear on what value they're bringing. And, and I suggest that, you know, you get really focused on what your niche is. Where do you want to have some expertise in? And trying not to be, I think uh, maybe somebody with your level of ex uh, experience, you know, you can be a lot of things to a lot of people. So you can't, you know, and, and I know that you don't want to try and be all things to all people as an mm -hmm. individual. Uh, you certainly have your areas of expertise that you've evolved and developed this many years later. I think a realtor needs to, you know, I say often it is the business of you and you have to understand that you are the brand. What is your brand narrative? What is the, uh, I guess, the brand that you want to be known for? How do you want to represent yourself and get really focused on who it is you're going to look after? And what is the value you're bringing to that relationship? And so I, I, I think that realtors and real estate People are, are going to need a place to live. There's lots of opportunities in the real estate world. I know that uh, given what's happening with the shift in what we're experiencing in Canada, but really globally, I think ultimately uh, I'm 100% bullish on real estate. I think that uh, it's not going to go away. You know, at the end of the day, people need to buy real estate, want a place to live and or rent. And so there's lots of demand. It's a product. And they're going to need a trusted agent oh, to help them man. with that. I think this goes back to, and, and quite frankly, realtors are facing headwinds because there are realtors who just do not do a great job of representing the industry just because of how they show up and what hobbyists. they Hobbyists. Yeah. I call them hobbyists. Well, I think there's, I, I think hobbyists is a good one, Randy, and I don't, I 100% agree with you. The challenge is, is that they become transactional instead of relational. Mm. And to get that uh, transaction completed, they blur the lines of being offside and onsite. Mm. You know, they blur lines. They do things that are not conducive or in integrity with the rules of the game. And so I think it just gives realtors a bad reputation. So, you know, I think realtors who are savvy, who are smart, number one, they work to make sure that they're seen as somebody that can be trusted as a trusted source they make sure that they're aligned with a brokerage perhaps that is 
very strong reputationally. And I think they got to be interviewing the brokerage as much as the brokerage might be interviewing them mm. and not just going for the job, for the volume. I think that's where you know, careers are cut short. Hmm. Well said, well said. So you said you're 65, yeah, you look 40. <laughs> Thanks. Um, what do you do on a daily basis that keeps you so fit and healthy? What does a schedule look like for, for Patrick on the health side of things, yeah. on the business side of things, the mental side of things? Like they all, they're all together, it's holistic. Yeah. yeah. What does that look like for you? Well, you know, number one is that, you know, within the context of my own philosophy on life, we look at the seven areas. We break our life into seven areas of life. So mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, uh, vocational, financial, familial. Okay, so we look at all the seven areas of life. So first thing is, is that, you know, I manage stress I think extremely well because I break it down that way. So I can feeling be feeling a lot of financial pressure, for example. But when I look at the other six areas of my life, frick, life's pretty good, <laughs> you know. And so it so really you can have one out of balance, and it's okay. I, I, like I can have one that's kind Two, of three? you know feel like it's <laughs> eating my lunch. But then and and same with you know physical, you know. So on the physical side of it, maybe I haven't been training, or maybe I haven't been looking after myself physically as much. But I look at the other six areas of my life, and so it's just a way to view life, you know, in terms of I think that one of the most important things you can do is manage stress, and your ability to manage stress mm. is uh, also how you are going to be. Uh, from a health perspective, not just mentally and emotionally, but also physically, because I do believe that uh, our, you know, that our physical, you know, our physical health is a manifestation of our mental health. And, you know, some people may go, I don't buy into that. But, you know, that statistically, they're saying that 95% of illness is driven by stress, uh, you know, and the fact that it can manifest physically and it's proven out with a fundamental you know somebody says i've got an ulcer well why is that well the doctor says i worry too much right so what does it do it manifests physically yeah. so from my perspective and in my view of the world and what i've adopted is just number one looking after my mental emotional spiritual health so that's a part of it and i do that through you know journaling and meditation and you know i study stoicism and i'm really always aware self-awareness i think is a big part of how mm -hmm. i operate and what i do and then you know Elaborate on that self-awareness yes what does that mean what are you saying when you say by self-awareness well i you know i think part of my daily routine is self-reflection Oh. and bringing my awareness you know how am i showing up you know how am i do you do self-audits i don't know yeah i guess that would be this yeah you would you could call it a self-audit you know stepping back long enough to you know like we just came off a very cool week of working with lots of people and uh, really doing a, a number of things with some coaching clients and a couple of events that I spoke at mm -hmm. and that we presented and did all of the stuff. So at the end of that, I come away and I look at it and go, you know, what did I feel really great about? You know, what do I question how I showed up? Yeah. And, you know, so that is a self audit. I use the term self-awareness is just really paying attention to and taking responsibility for who I'm being mm -hmm. in the context of the relationships that I have, who am I being in the context of my life? So when we look at making decisions, self-awareness is really about saying, and back to where we started this whole conversation is around who am I being? It's a choice. 
You know, if I wasn't choosing to be the way I am, if I wasn't sincerely committed to creating great relationships, I wouldn't have friends like you. I wouldn't have relationships with my business partners and my business associates. I wouldn't have the team of people I have around me. And so I have to step back and always uh, to be what I, you know, to try and be a great leader and a business owner. I'm looking and saying, okay, how am I showing up? Uh, how am I treating the people around me uh, what am i bringing to the table yeah. you know so that's all self-awareness yeah and you come back to stress i think how we handle stress when people count on you when people count on me there's a lot of things going on but it's how they see me and it's really how i'm controlling mm -hmm. the level of stress yeah if i can't handle it mm -hmm. things are going to blow up they're going to see it blow up. They're going to feel it blow up. But mm -hmm. I, I think you're so bang on there. It's how I can handle and control the stress. The seven things that you mentioned, what is one that you cannot live without? You know, you talked about, you know, fitness. Yeah, yeah. What, what it was, what's the one that, man, I, like I, that has to fit into my day every day? Um, I don't think there's any one thing that has to fit in my day every day. I, I don't know. I've never been asked that question before. I'd have to give it some thought, Randy. Like you can have all these things happening. Yes. Some blow up, some don't get done, but you know. On a day-to-day -day basis, I don't think, I, I think. You can, you can manage. I look at it, it's just, it's very holistic yeah, in, okay. in terms of all of that, right? Uh, you know, there's something that I look at from a physical point of view. You, I used to train really hard and I used to, you know, my fitness. That's why you look 40. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's why my, fit, <laughs> my fitness level was very important to me. Yes. But now at this point in my life, my wellness level is important to me. Mm. And so I've come to understand that there's a difference between a fitness there. and wellness. You know, fitness is, you know, uh, you know, your cardiovascular, your VO2 maxes, you know, how much you're training, the intensity and all the rest of it. You know, what I've learned from my now 95 year old mom and what I've come to realize with her at 95 years old is one of the things that she did was she only ever just walked on a regular basis, you know, six, seven days a week, four days a week, whatever it was, she walked. And, you know, so her wellness, you know, her physical wellness was always looked after just by getting out, getting fresh air, walking, getting your body moving and all the rest of it. Because I know some, and we've all heard the stories of this really fit individual who, you know, dies of a heart attack, you know, mm. because you're fit does not mean you're well. And you can be well and you don't have to be fit. And when you start to understand that the difference between fitness and wellness is really just the difference between being active. Now, we live in the country, we have five beautiful acres that I like to manage myself. So I'm physically working around my property all the time. And if I don't feel like that, I'm getting that enough, especially in maybe in the winter months, then I've got a gym attached to my office. So. Mm -hmm. No excuses. <laughs> no excuses. You find a way to get rid of the toxins. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes, exactly. Um, you've met some, uh, you've shared some stories with me and some of the people that you've met and hung out with are uh, billionaires. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we, we think billionaires never have any problems. Mm -hmm. um, that life is just great, great, great. <laughs> but I had a, a really well-to-do person once say to me, Randy, we all have a wheel in life. Your wheel might be a, an 18-inch wheel. I might have, uh, you know, a super tanker wheel, or it might be one of those great big trucks that work in the, in the pits. Mm -hmm. We all have a wheel, and stuff sticks to our wheel. Mm -hmm. um, 
I have a big wheel, he says. A lot of stuff sticks to my wheel. Yeah. Um, the people that you've met in life, whether it's a small wheel, big wheel, how do they get rid of that stuff? Is there any secret to managing that stuff? I've always been really, I don't know that there's a secret to it. I think the point is, is that, you know, the bigger you get in life or the more you accomplish, I think the bigger the problems or the mm -hmm. more problems, to your point, that we have to deal with. It always comes back to how, uh, what's our ability to deal with the challenges that we face. What I have come to realize is that if you can, if you, ha if you have the gift of being able to make a lot of money, that's great. Doesn't mean that your life is any better. And you know, at the end of the day. Money doesn't make you happy? Doesn't make you happy. No, right? come on. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that, you know, there's a fundamental uh, myth that's out there that, you know, money solves all the problems. Mm. And and let's face it, I, I you know, there's whatever, whoever said that, you know, I've been broke and I've been rich and rich is better. You know, there's, mm. there's, I think there's that part of it. But, you know, back to having a lot of money, if you're not equipped to, again deal with how life unfolds you know there's some very very wealthy people that are known for their you know their lack of anger management and their meltdowns and all the things that go on so i don't know where we go with that conversation other than to say i don't think there is a secret i think ultimately it always comes back to your own personal development well and we all want bliss we all want to have a life of bliss mm -hmm. and if i think of bliss Maybe if you think of bliss, the most blissful moments we have or had are probably when we were children. Mm -hmm. We were curious, our imaginations ran wild. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, to me, that, uh, that's true bliss. Mm -hmm. And so I see so many people that have so much and they're just not very blissful. So uh, money certainly doesn't buy bliss. Um, speaking of curiosity and imagination, mm -hmm. um, you're very gifted with that as a child. Do you still have curiosity and does your imagination run wild with great ideas and thoughts? And I do you dream? Do you dream? <laughs> you know, something, uh, no, I don't dream. I'm not a big dreamer. Interestingly enough, I'm not. Having said that, you know, from a sleep point of view, I'm just not a big dreamer. I have dreams, but I, I never remember them. I'm not that person. And I, and I compare myself to others I know in my life who like dream in color and they're like, they remember their dreams and they have conversations about it. I'm not that guy. Mm. Uh, but from a dreaming and a creative point of view, um, I'm, I am if I'm in the right scenario and surrounded by the right people. So I have some great ideas and I can get pretty creative, but I'm really blessed to be surrounded by some amazingly creative uh, people. And I think when I'm in that scenario, when I put myself in the right environment, uh, then I am very creative, yes. Hmm. Well, Patrick, you seem so present whenever you're with me. Is that something you work at or is it just a gift? I mean, you're in a room and you can be surrounded by people and be so present mm -hmm. with that person that you're talking to. How did you get that gift? Uh, I think that's a practice. Mm. Very, very sincerely interested in the other person. So. I think that is something that maybe developed. I can't say is that was intentional, but it does seem to be one of the things that people comment on about being present and hearing, and I think translating, or I don't know, maybe I'm just able to, I don't know the answer to that question. You know, I think, I think the answer is, you, you nailed it, you nailed it, but it's, 
it's like anything in life. Um, we, it's just a muscle that we have to develop in so many areas of life. And you've probably just developed that over time. You've been uh, you know, in retail, which is just, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's full on yeah. instant sales. People walk through the door yeah. and you have one shot Mm -hmm. to make something happen. Mm -hmm. It's that first impression, how to get something. So um, there's probably been so many muscle moments to get you here. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that... Retail, so, by the way, is just such, such an incredible tool to learn. But the one fundamental that I got to early on mm -hmm. is the difference with my retail business is it's not traditional retail. Ah. So in other words, I'm now working, well, my team is actually having third generation people come into our store. Wow. The difference with working with af young athletes, so I can have a six-year-old come in, getting ready to go on the ice for the first time to play hockey, and now at 16, 18, 26, 36, he's still playing hockey and he's still coming to our store. So the hmm. goes back and to- And he's bringing his child in. Exactly. So it's relational, not transactional. Wow. And, you know, in this particular industry, it's why I've got staff that have been with me literally 25 years. And many of them have been with me 10 or 12 in that environment because it's not traditional retail. It's not like I'm selling you a pair of jeans and I'll see you in a couple of years. This is literally I'm seeing or my team now is seeing. Uh, the kids come in, they're seeing their parents come in on a weekly basis to look after, sharpen skates, maintain skates, do all the things you do in a, any sport. And so it is very much relational. I think there's a fundamental, back to one of the questions that you ask, and I, don't, I, I think would be remiss to step over that what drives me is my purpose, which is to be a contribution. Hmm. It, in my world, and I'm wired this way, and I was blessed to kind of have the realization early on in my career, in my business development. And I don't know that I've always done a great job of it, although I know right now that I'm doing it better than I've ever done before, which is knowing that what lights me up is supporting the success of others. And using some of my age, my wisdom that perhaps I've gained through years of experience, but my ability to hear, to listen, to understand words that people are saying because you can't hide behind language ever. And being able to provide that guidance and that support in them achieving their goals has always been what I love to do. Mm. And so whether it be in the retail environment that I built, I'm helping young athletes aspire to be whatever they are. And I've been blessed to work with NHL players, watch people. and literally world and Olympic class figure skaters. Kurt Browning used to work for me, used to sharpen skates for me. You know? wow. Oh yeah, all those, like I got you know, thousands of those kinds of stories over the years, but even in the real estate investment network, supporting real estate investors to grow that financial future, to build a portfolio. Uh, those to me- Which you've are, done for me. Well, there you go. Yeah. I've supported you along that line as well. And so whether it be, um, you know, in this case, retail or real estate investors or realtors. Uh, that's, you know, Stephanie and I, Stephanie has her coaching business that I support her in that. She's working uh, in, that, in that environment. So it really is what we get up every day thinking about is how can we support the success of others? That's what lights us up. And that's why we're mm. on this planet. We're very clear on that. That is awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah. Hey, we've got this own your need. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Share that. Uh, well, it comes from a story, an old friend of mine who 
uh, we were doing some work together and I was probably complaining about something. This was many years ago. And she looked at me and she goes, Patrick, I'm going to give you one of the best phrases you'll ever hear. And that is own your need. And I go, well, what do you mean by that? And then she went on and I've expanded over it over the years. But it's ultimately to say this is that nobody reads your mind. Whatever environment you're in, if you're in a coaching environment, if you're in a career environment where you're talking to your boss, I don't care what it is, own your need. We don't read minds. So state out loud, what's the question? What is it that you need to have clarity? What is it you need to move forward? Own your need. In other words, ask the questions, have the conversation, communicate it in a way that people can hear it and take responsibility for what it is that you're trying to achieve and the outcome you're trying to achieve, which is own your need. If you need help, ask for help. If you need a question answered, ask the question. Love that, mm -hmm. love that. Okay, speed round. Okay, here we go. Fine dining, takeout, Uber, uh, or home-cooked meal? Oh, oh man, I'm gonna be a home-cooked meal guy all of the time. <laughs> what do you do to let your hair down? If I had hair left, how would I let it down? Is that the question? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, anytime I can hang out with uh, good friends, good family, chosen family, I'm, that's how I do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you like your dinner parties. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I do. and that's with family, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Text, talk, or email? Who, definitely not email. A combination of text and talk. Uh, depending on what, what it is, Text is the most efficient for me, but there's times where I just like to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Okay, Audible or book? Oh, that's a great question because I've been an Audible fanatic over the past six, seven years particularly. Uh, and what I've come to realize is that I like Audible because it's efficient. Mm -hmm. But I think my retention level is not as good. So now what I'm doing is, you know, it used to be how many books could I consume? Yeah. Now it's, taking the time to actually dig into that book, slow down. Uh, so I'm using Kindle. I don't like to carry a heavy book. I like Kindle, my Kindle reader, because I can make notes, cut and copy and paste and take stuff away, but I'm slowing down. So I'm actually reading more now. Have you used uh, Blinkist or, or an app like that? Yeah, I have. I've used Blink, uh, Blinkist or whatever it's called. I have used it and it's an executive summary of things, yeah. but I just don't get enough out of it. You miss, yeah, yeah, you miss a lot of yeah. things. Yeah. I find that I actually, I like Audible because I can be listening while I'm driving yeah, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. but I find that I can actually get through a book quicker if I yeah. just sit down and read it and yeah. get more out of it. Oh, I don't know, but I can get it read when I read. I don't think I can do it quicker, but I definitely get more out of it. Yeah. I like Audible. Do you know what I like with Audible is the fact that, you know, when I'm mowing lawn or working out of my exactly. yard, I've got it plugged in. I'm always listening to something. Yeah. Okay. Last question. It's a bit of a trick question. Mm. If you were a scratch and sniff sticker, <laughs> gotcha. so scratch where, and sniff sticker, going? what would you smell like? Hmm. Can I give you some time? Should I share my scratch and sniff? The viewers all know my scratch <laughs> okay, and sniff well, sticker. What's yours? Like? Mine, mine is, uh, I mean, I love kite surfing, being on the beach. Yep. Jolene and I are beach people, and so uh, a pina colada with a sea breeze. <laughs> <laughs> I think right now, uh, given where we are in our life and with what we've got going on, uh, a couple of Bernese mountain dogs with a big smile on their face. <laughs> so wet, stinky dogs. <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Patrick, thank you for being a guest mm -hmm. on the Return of Life podcast. So happy. Uh, such a great interview and uh, so much wisdom. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. That's great. Awesome.